Hello, this is Pastor Marty Macedo from Fellow Helpers Ministries, bringing you another podcast from the Pastor's Study, Biblical Lessons in the Battlefield of Life from a retired pastor of 45 years who was saved after serving as a Staff Sergeant Airborne Ranger in Vietnam. My testimony is shared in podcast number one. It is my desire to share with you lessons the Lord has taught me over my years of living as a Christian and serving as a pastor. These podcasts are intended to whet your appetite for further personal Bible study. They'll be short, 20 to 30 minutes, and having your Bible and something to jot down notes might be helpful. If you have any questions, you can contact me by email, masitofhm at gmail.com, M-A-S-I-T-T-O-F-H-M, for Fellow Helpers Ministries, at gmail.com. It's an interesting day to be sharing this. This is October 26, 2020, and I have to add this, that it's the 50th anniversary of when I was booby-trapped in Vietnam. Uh, My testimony is in uh, podcast number one, and podcast number two, I talk about booby-traps in the Christian life. But it's just kind of an interesting thing to think 50 years ago I was so far away and uh, in such a situation, and yet the Lord took me through that, even though I wasn't a Christian at that point, but used that booby trap as an opportunity to get my attention and eventually bring me to him. So I'm very glad to share my 50th anniversary uh, with you today with this podcast. Now, the title of our Bible study today is Finding That Which Is Lost, Part 2. It's going to be from Luke chapter 15, verses 11 to 24. And you remember, uh, last week we started in this passage of Scripture which is an excellent example of the Lord Jesus Christ using everyday events to teach a very valuable spiritual truth. Last week, we took a look at a lost lamb, and we took a look at a lost coin. And actually, we had four key words last week. Number one, we looked at the word lost. Number two, we looked at the word fine. Number three, we looked at the word rejoice. And then we saw the word one. And uh, you can listen to that podcast and get filled in on that. But we specifically and deliberately left out the lost son because we want to deal with that separately, which we're going to do today. So as we begin, we're going to be looking at Luke 15, verses 11 through 24. And again, finding that which is lost and today the lost son. Let's begin by reading Luke 15, verse 11. And he said, a certain man had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, Give me the portion of goods that falleth to me. And he divided unto them his living. And not many days after, the younger son gathered all together and took his journey into a far country, and there wasted his substance with riotous living. And when he had spent all, there arose a mighty famine in that land, and he began to be in want. And he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country, And he sent him into his fields to feed swine. And he would fain have filled his belly with the husk that the swine did eat, and no man gave unto him. And when he came to himself, he said, verse 17, How many hired servants of my fathers have bread enough and to spare, and I perish with hunger? I will arise and go to my father, and will say unto him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before thee, and am no more worthy to be called thy son. Make me as one of thy hired servants. And he arose, verse 20, and came to his father. But when he was yet a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. 
And the son said unto him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in thy sight, and am no more worthy to be called thy son. But the father said unto the servants, Bring forth the best robe, and put it on him, and put a ring on his hand, and shoes on his feet, and bring hither the fatted calf, and kill it, and let us eat and be merry. For this my son was dead, and is alive again. He was lost, and is found. And they began to be merry. Shall we pray? Our Father in heaven, we are at different places and at different times listening to this lesson, but we know that you are everywhere all the time. And so it's our prayer, Father, that you will just take this portion of your word and teach us that which is needed in our lives. Lord, I have no idea who's listening. I have no idea what their needs are, but I know you do. And I just pray, Father, that in this portion of scripture, the message that you have to give to us would come forth clear as you use a servant today to share it. In Jesus' name, amen. As we take a look at our passage of Scripture this morning, this well, today, I should say, uh, we're going to go ahead and give you just a little bit of background. And that little bit of background is this. You remember finding the lost and how important it was and how people rejoiced in having done that. Uh, that was done with the lost lamb, and that was in chapter 15 of Luke, verses 3 through 7. It was done with the lost coin. That's in Luke chapter 15, verses 8 through 10. And then this week, as I've already mentioned, we're taking a look at the lost son in verses 11 through 24. Now, by way of introduction, I want us to note, first of all, verse 11. And he said, a certain man had two sons. Now, these two sons were as different as night and day. Night, the younger son, was in verse 12 and verse 13, Listen to what he did. The younger of them said unto his father, Give me the portion of goods that falleth to me. And he divided unto them his living. And not many days after, the younger son gathered all together, took his journey into a far country, and there wasted his substance with riotous living. Here we have the one son, and that is the younger son, and he wasted his life. Those two verses point that out, don't they? But then we find the older son, and the older son in verse 25 worked his life. Now, we don't see that in the verses we just read, but we're going to go ahead. And by the way, next week, we'll be taking a look at the rest of this chapter, the elder son. But let's glimpse him right now when we go to Luke chapter 15 and note verse 29. Here's the elder son. He answering said to his father, Lo, these many years do I serve thee. Neither transgressed I at any time thy commandment, and yet thou never gavest me a kid that I might make merry with my friends. Now, what we're noting here is, verse 11, the introduction, a certain man had two sons, and the one son wasted his life, the younger one, and the other son worked his life, the older one. Now, this intrigues me, and I'm sure it's intriguing you also. Think about it for a moment. There was the same father and mother, there was the same home, there was the same food, there were the same rules, there was the same church gathering, uh, the Jewish community gathering together to worship, the same community that they were raised in and lived in, the same, in our day and age, maybe the same school, and the same neighbors, and the same upbringing. All these things were the same, and equal opportunity was given to both the younger and the older. But what happened? Well, one chose to be, if I could put this in quotes, 
a bad boy. And the other one chose to be, I'll put this in quotes, a good boy. You know, today we kind of see glorified the idea of the bad boy and uh, and what great life they have. Whenever you watch something that has uh, sinful people and sinful activities, you always wonder, where do they get all this money? Where do they get all these clothes? Where does it get all this stuff? We don't watch that stuff that much. But when you do see something like that, you just laugh and say, that's not real life. That kind of a lifestyle of a bad boy doesn't bring glamour by any stretch of the imagination. And yet you see now the good boy, and that image is ridiculed today. Oh, he's a good boy. Oh, he's a goody two-shoes. Or that was the expression we used in our day. I'm not sure what they use in this day today. Uh, he thinks he's better than me, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But, but here we find one father, and we find two sons, and we find one a bad boy, and we find one a good boy. And the question would be this, what's a parent to do? When a parent has children, whether it be one, two, seven, whatever, when a parent has children, what's he to do? Well, the responsibility is given to us in Proverbs chapter 22, verse 6. You remember that verse, I'm sure. It's quoted quite often. Proverbs 22, 6 says this, Train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. And we love that verse, don't we? But I want to take it a step further and recognize this. This child who's trained that way comes to the place where they have to make a choice. And the choice they make will either cause them to be a bad boy or cause them to be a good boy. Let's take a look at the idea of the choice that children need to make today and teens and young people need to make today. Proverbs chapter 1. We're going to look at verses 7 and 8, and we're also going to look at verse 29. Verse 7, Proverbs chapter 1 says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. Now listen carefully to verse 8. My son, hear the instruction of thy father, and forsake not the law of thy mother. But later on we see in verse 29 of Proverbs chapter 1, for that they hated knowledge and did not choose the fear of the Lord. Notice that word, they did not choose the fear of the Lord. Yes, we as parents have a responsibility to train children to follow the Lord, train up a child in the way he should go. But that child then has a responsibility of making the right choice. Now, Joshua brings that out. You're probably already thinking about that, aren't you? Do you remember in Joshua chapter 24, as he closes out his book, and he says this in verse 14, Now therefore fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and in truth, and put away the gods which your fathers served on the other side of the flood and in Egypt, and serve ye the Lord. And if it seem evil unto you to serve the Lord, choose you this day whom you will serve whether the gods which your fathers served that were on the other side of the flood or the gods of the Amorites in whose land ye dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. So as we take a look at Luke and we take a look at chapter 15 and we start this third parable about the lost son, we recognize in our introduction of verse 11, and he said, a certain man had two sons. Raised the same way, same home, same community, same everything, but the one son chose to be a bad boy and the other son chose to be a good boy. So parents, we need to do our best. Now, 
The question mark is, sometimes when we do our best, it doesn't turn out really well. That happened here, didn't it? I believe this father did his best, but the younger son, he rebelled. And the older son, of course, he remained. But I think there are three words here that can teach us about the lost son returning. And I believe these three words are very important for us to understand today and very encouraging for us to understand when we think about a prodigal or think about a lost son or lost daughter. And what is that? Well, let's take a look, first of all, at this. The younger son initially chose rebellion. The younger son initially chose rebellion. That's in verses 12 and 13. Now, the word rebellion means this, an open resistance to lawful authority, an open resistance to lawful authority. This younger son did not only rebel against his earthly father, but he also rebelled against his heavenly father. We just saw that, didn't we? Proverbs 1 said he should listen to his parents. He didn't. He went the other way. So he was disobeying not only his earthly father, but his heavenly father. And by the way, paid a price for it. But what happened in his rebellion? How did the rebellion come about? Well, let's take a look. Rebellion is often preceded by the give me's. The rebellion is often preceded by the give me's. Listen to verse 12. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that falleth to me. And he divided unto them his living. The give me's. The give me's is a sign of selfishness. The give me's is a sign of independence. The give me's is a sign of foolishness. And when there's a child that has that attitude of give me, you probably have a child that's ripe for rebellion. Rebellion is often preceded by the give me's. Notice number two. Rebellion causes one to want to be as far away from home as possible. Rebellion causes one to want to be as far away from home as possible. Look at verse 13. And not many days after, the younger son gathered all together and took his journey into a far country and there wasted his substance with riotous living. It concerns me, I'll just share this as a pastor of 45 years, it concerns me when I see teens that don't want to be with their parents. In fact, I've even had parents say at times, well, my son or daughter doesn't want to go shopping with me or doesn't want to be seen with me in public. That's a danger sign. There might be that uh, that rebellion beginning to breed in that life. Uh, also in church, a lot of times teens will not want to sit with their parents in church. Again, be cautious there. It doesn't mean teens always have to sit with their parents, but again, they shouldn't be embarrassed by their parents and they shouldn't be upset with their parents because of their rules or standards or whatever. And and also, uh, a lot of graduates can't wait till they graduate and turn 18 so they can leave home and be out on their own. But you know something? The path of rebellion seems glamorous at first, but ends in hopeless despair. Let me repeat that. The path of rebellion seems glamorous at first, but ends in hopeless despair. Here, this rebellious younger son, he proceeded with the give me's. The younger rebellious son, I want to get as far away from home as possible. Got his money, got away, thought he had it made. Now, by the way, that doesn't only happen in teens, that can happen in adults too. For example, an adult that says, uh, I don't want to attend church anymore, I or, or maybe I'll attend, but I'll just sit in the back. I'll come a little late, leave a little early. I just don't want to talk to anybody or fellowship with anybody. That's a danger sign. 
uh, pastor uh, and not going to the pastor for prayer, or especially not going to the pastor for help when he's having an issue in his life. It's a danger sign uh, not coming home from work, but hanging out with the guys afterward. That's a danger sign. See, teens might not be the only ones rebellious. Adults can also be rebellious, but again, the same thing applies. The path of rebellion seems glamorous at first, but ends in hopeless despair. You see, the passage isn't finished here. Take a look, if you would, at verse 13. Rebellion distorts one's use of money. Rebellion distorts one's use of money. It says at the end of that verse, and there wasted his substance with riotous living. An inheritance that should have lasted a lifetime didn't even come close because of his rebellion. And then lastly, we see here, under the young son initially chooses rebellion, rebellion leaves one broke, friendless, and broken in spirit. Listen to these sad verses 15 and 16. And he went, Luke 15, 15, and joined himself to a citizen of that country, and he sent him into his fields to feed swine. And he would fain have filled his belly with the husk of the swine that eat, and no man gave unto him. He was a prime candidate, folks, to end his life. He was in that total hopeless and despair situation. And by the way, just as a sidelight, not a major hobby horse to be climbing on today, but just as a sidelight, you know, rock music prides itself in breeding a rebellious spirit. And you can do a little bit of Google search and you can find out that many of these rock stars in this rock music culture end up ending their lives. Why? Because the path of rebellion seems glamorous at first, but ends in hopeless despair. Our young son here was facing that, and it's recorded for us as instruction and a warning to us that we do not want to initially choose rebellion. Rebellion is often preceded by the gitmes. Rebellion causes one to want to be far away from home as possible. Rebellion distorts one's use of money. And rebellion leaves one broke, friendless, and broken in spirit. Verses 15 and 16. Now, it doesn't end there, thankfully. Here's what we find number two. The younger son, thankfully, came to repentance. The younger son, thankfully, came to repentance. Now, what's the word repentance mean? Well, repentance means this, a sorrow to feel pain and grief for sin. A sorrow to feel pain and grief for sin. True repentance is a change of mind followed by a change of life. A change of mind followed by a change of life. Now, note with me in verse 16. A key to repentance is having no man give unto you. Verse 16 says at the end of the verse, and no man gave unto him. Now, my Bible's got a little heading there about the repentance, but let's take that heading out and go straight to verse 17. Let's read it the way it's written. And here's what it says, verse 16 and 17. No man gave unto him, and when he came to himself, he said. You see, the key to repentance is having no man give unto you. He had the gimmies back in verse 12, and he was given it. But now he had the what? No man gave unto him. You know, that's why there's not a lot of repentance today. 
That's why a lot of teens, a lot of adults just don't repent of their sin and change because there are support groups that will support them in their sin. There were support groups that will favor them and care for them and whatever. And as a result, there's little repentance. But when no man gives unto the person that should repent, I believe they will come unto themselves. Notice number two under this idea of his repentance. True repentance is acknowledging sin toward God. Verse 18 says this, I will arise and go to my father and will say unto him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and before thee. Now God's in heaven and of course his father's in earth. And you'll notice the priority here was I sinned against heaven. I sinned against God and I want to get right with God and then I can get right with you. Notice he acknowledges by that statement that the primary offended one is God, and he's now repenting and wants to be forgiven. Notice this, true repentance is acknowledging sin toward others, for he does not say in verse 18, just heaven, but he says, and also before thee, talking about his father. I sinned against heaven, God, and I sinned against thee, Father, and I am sorry, and I'm repentant, and I'm returning." You'll notice this does not have any buts in it. It does not have any exceptions in it. He didn't say, uh, I have sinned against heaven and before thee because I just saw the glamour of the world. I had all this money, didn't know how to manage it, got involved with the wrong crowd, blah, blah, blah. All those things may have been true, but the root of the matter was he made a choice and he made a wrong choice and he paid for it. And when no man gave unto him, he came unto himself and he repented, verse 18. True repentance allows one to see himself as he really is, to see himself as he really is. Listen to verse 19. And I, excuse me, and am no more worthy to be called thy son. Make me as one of thy hired servants. I am nothing. I am nothing. And I'm returning to the God of heaven, and I'm returning to my earthly father. Now, let me answer this question for us today. Think about it with me. How does true repentance differ from remorse or sorrow? How does true repentance differ from remorse or sorrow? In verse 21, we read this verse. And the son said unto him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in thy sight, and am no more worthy to be called thy son. You'll notice that he made the decision in verse 18 in private. He said, I will arise and go to my father. And this is what I'm going to say. But now he says it in public in verse 21. And in between, you've got verse 19 and 20, where his father ran and hugged him and kissed him. He could have said nothing, but he, he couldn't do that because he had a repentant heart, not a remorseful heart. I'm just coming home to get food and clothing. He had a repentant heart. I'm no more worthy to be called thy son. I'm asking you for forgiveness. The lack of being willing to follow through with public confession is a sign that one has experienced remorse, sorry for what I've done, but not repentance. I am willing to change. Now remember, that's the idea of repentance. True repentance is a change of mind that is followed by a change of life. Now, there's a third thing we're going to see. And the third thing is this. 
the younger son experienced reconciliation. He had the rebellion, but then he had the repentance, and now he has the joy of reconciliation. Remember the lost lamb that was brought back and the lost coin that was brought back and the emphasis on the word rejoice? Well, we're seeing that here with the lost son. Now, what does reconciliation mean? Well, reconciliation is the act of bringing together parties at variance. It's a renewal of friendship after it has a disagreement. The idea of reconciliation is bringing together parties that are at variance. It's the idea of renewal of friendship after disagreement. And what we're finding in this passage of Scripture is this young man first is reconciled to God, and then secondly, he's reconciled to his father, others. And that's a beautiful thing to see unfold in this passage. Look, first of all, with me as we think about the son came to the father, verse 20. And he arose and came to his father, but he was yet a great way off. His father saw him, had compassion, ran, and fell on his neck and kissed him. The lost lamb, the shepherd went out to find. The lost coin, the woman swept her house to find. Now it says the son came. Why? Well, we're back to our introduction. A will is involved here because this is a human being. This isn't an object. This isn't an animal. This is a human being, and the will is involved. And the thing is, this young man had to come to repentance and make a choice that he was going to change in his heart. And he had then he was able to be reconciled to God as well as reconciled to his father. The will is involved, and a choice had to be made. And thankfully, after making the wrong choice in verses 12 and 13, he's now making the right choice in verses 18 down to verse 22. The second thing we note about the reconciliation is this. The father was waiting and watching. The father was waiting and watching. We just read that, didn't we? It says in verse 20, but when he was yet a great way off, his father saw him. I can imagine every day his father is looking out across the fields, waiting to see his son return in answer to his prayer. And this day he saw him and he ran out, fell on his neck and kissed him. He didn't run to him when he was in a faraway country and didn't support him in his riotous living by giving him more money week after week or month after month or year after year. No, no, it was very painful for that father to let that son come to the end of himself. No man gave unto him, verse 16, then he came to himself. It was very painful for the father to do that, but he was praying and he was waiting. And when he saw his son returning, he ran out there with compassion and fell on his neck and kissed him. Notice also the son's confession. I love this. It would have been so easy at that point for the son to not say anything. Hey, this is cool. My dad's already coming out. He's hugging me. He's kissing me. He's all happy. I don't have to say a thing. But the son holds up his hands and says, in essence, Dad, wait, verse 21. And the son said unto him, here's the sign of true repentance, folks. I have sinned against heaven, acknowledging God again, and in thy sight, acknowledging his father, and I'm no more worthy to be called thy son. That is true confession. That is a sign of true repentance. And that was met by the father's compassion. 
Look at his compassion in verses 22 through 24. He didn't say, son, I told you so, and didn't say, son, you ruined our family name, and didn't say, son, you wasted our family inheritance. He didn't do that. He was so happy to see his son come back with a repentant heart that the father showed great compassion, verse 22, but the father said to his servants, bring forth the best robe, put on him and the ring on his hand and shoes on his feet and bring hither the fatted calf and kill it and let us eat and be merry. Why? For my son that was dead is alive again and was lost and is found and they began to be merry. Isn't that a wonderful ending to that parable? And the Lord is teaching us, remember, it is a parable. And so this earthly example is teaching us a spiritual truth. And the spiritual truth is this. All have sinned to come short of the glory of God. There's our rebellion. But there's repentance. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And after that, there's reconciliation where we are a child of God it's interesting, back in the Old Testament, in the book of Psalms, in Psalm 91, it says this, He that dwelleth in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. It also says in verse 9, Because thou hast made the Lord, which is my refuge, even the Most High, thy habitation, thy dwelling place, in essence, thy home. God desires for everyone who is lost to come home, to come to the end of ourself, to repent of our sin, to go back to him and ask forgiveness and receive it and be reconciled to God. Whether you've never been saved before, he's ready for you to come to him. Whether you've been saved and slipped away in rebellion, he's waiting for you to come back to him. God is a very gracious and merciful God. You know, we look at this passage of scripture and we see this father and we say, wasn't this father just wonderful? He, he just was waiting for his son and loved and forgave his son. That's great. But not to discredit him, it pales in significance to the very God of heaven who is waiting for sinners to return home. Whether you've not been saved before, or whether you've been saved and slipped away, God is waiting for sinners to return home. Well, I have certainly enjoyed sharing with you today this lesson. I know that I've mentioned this a time or two, but I'll mention it again. The wonderful thing about a podcast is you can stop it along the way, read these verses yourself, take a few notes along the way, even do some extra study along the way. Isn't that a wonderful but I hope it's whetted your appetite to look a little bit more at the lost son and to learn that great truth. And uh, and I'm, I'm very thankful to be able to do that, especially on this 50th anniversary of the day I was wounded, October 26, 1970, um, when serving as a ranger in Vietnam. Well, this has been from the pastor's study with Pastor Marty Macedo, and I'm going to have to let you go, aren't I? And uh, you may email me if you have any questions. My email is masito, M-A-S-I-T-T-O, F-H-M at gmail.com, masito, F-H-M at gmail.com. And Lord willing, we'll be able to post another episode next week. But remember this in summary of today's lesson. The one who is rebellious now can repent and become reconciled. The choice is yours. Are you at home with God today? I certainly hope so. Thank you for listening and have a great day.